Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. to Weekend Gardening with your host, the empress of everything green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mamas on the radio now to answer your questions and call you. Hello, baby. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to October. And it really does feel like an October fest here. I don't know if you've ever... uh, Never thought about that, but there's a reason why the State Fair and a million other events all happen in the first part of October. This is kind of prime time for people to get out and do some things, get around, see each other, see their, their teams, their parades, their favorite musicians. In my case, the kind people coming to fix my roof. <laughs> all of these things are happening, and I do attribute a lot of that to the pleasant weather. Can't complain. But we could, but it would be about our plants, because this is weekend gardening. Let me know what's on your mind. What are you thinking? What are you growing? What's not doing as well as you thought it would? Triple eight eight zero eight eight six three seven is the Super Talk call line. Six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five, of course, the ceasefire text line that I trust you all will burn up. I am not looking directly at it, but I'm confident that should you find yourself in the throes of a really important and absolutely delightful sports broadcast during the morning today, you'll find me over on the stream. So I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> Supertalk.fm for all that stuff, all those links. Sometimes you just want to read the headlines and move right along. Okay? Headlines are lettuce everywhere, lettuce grow lettuce. The other particular one is that my beets are looking pretty good. I hope yours are, too. And, well, quite frankly, I've still got I, – I did something yesterday that I'm almost feeling guilty for. There were tomatoes on the plant last week. I picked them. They were fine. They were delicious. But And, and then there were just a few flowers coming on to some new growth at the top of about a five-and-a-half-foot-tall stem that was barely able to support its top growth. They're gone. I just had to let it go. I had to had to just say no. I needed that soil for one thing, not for more tomatoes. I needed it to fill in a shrub box. But the question is always, when do you let go? And I let go when I realized that there one of the stems of this plant had been absolutely denuded by the little hornworm that I saw on there and I've been videoing and looking at. But the birds have eaten two of them now, so they kind of broke up my research project. (laughs) I have to say, though, what could be better if we just had enough birds to eat all of them? We don't, however. Anyway, welcome to Weekend Gardening. I look forward to hearing what's on your mind today. I've got tips I will be going into, if, if the time permits, some of the issues that have been raised in the Garden Mama group on Facebook. Um, a couple of my patrons at patreon.com slash gardenmama have also asked me some questions that I said I would get to today because they also are listeners. You nice people. Thank you very much. And it is indeed time to renew your subscription or to get one for the 2023 editions of All Things Garden Mama Weekly. 
So all of that is available to you, Mama on Air at Yahoo.com. Let's go to the phones right now and talk to Lawrence. Lawrence in Corinth, what's going on, sir? Well, hello. Howdy. This, I've got a problem with the chrysanthemum. Uh, my wife's sister gives her a chrysanthemum in a pot every year. Mm-hmm. And last year we we got one, and I determined to put it in the ground quicker rather than wait till it was nearly dried up. Mm-hmm. And so this summer it has grown profusely, <laughs> just beautiful. But the blooms are all on the north side. Oh. And the, the buds on the south side have not opened. Isn't that something? What's the difference between the north side? What, what is the difference between the north side and the, and, and the other side? Is it more sunlight on the one side? Is it better drainage or less drainage? What's, what's different about the, where I, that plant is? I don't know. You know, uh, it's, on the north, it's on the west side of the house, so um, everything gets a lot of sun in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't and, wilt. Uh, it, it's, it stays watered and all that, right? Yes. Okay. I've watered it all through the drive. I have, um, and you, you ha- and you have other mums that are out in the yard, and they do fine. I don't. Uh, okay. My other one has disappointed me. It's from about three years ago, and it's it just hardly grew this year. Okay. And it's all in the same bed, uh-huh. although separated by a distance. Well, chrysanthemums. The soil's a little. Chrysanthemums are one of the um, one of my favorite plants, just because I spent so much time with them when I was in school, and but also in in life. You know, they're just something I really like. Now, the ones that your wife gets in a container that are fully in bloom, some of those have a chance in our gardens, and some simply do not, because they're they're not they're different varieties. In other words. Um, chrysanthemums are considered native to Japan. They are, but they also have been located in other places in their wild strains or crossed with the fancy ones, and we come up with these crazy beautiful flowers with spoon-shaped petals, you know, and completely doubled-up things that look like softballs. I mean, just chrysanthemums have such a wide range of beautiful, beautiful flowers. But their plants may or may not do well in our garden. I say, because this one has made it through the summer and is blooming at all, you are way ahead of the game on this one. What I would do for next year is very little. I would let it do what it's going to do. Then when you come in to cut off the parts of it that are brown, you know, early spring, sometime, you know, when you want it to kick off again for next spring, just make sure that you're fertilizing it with something that is intended to bring on flowers. And... I would pinch the side that had that did really well this time. I would pinch the north side of the plant a couple of times before next summer. Because that will stimulate oh. that will stimulate flower buds, but it will also stimulate the other side of the plant to grow some more. Okay? Oh. So okay. We'll try that. We'll try that. Now, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, it's probably going to be just because it it wasn't a variety that could could make. I have um, yeah. I have long and bitter memories of, for some reason or another, at one point, anything happened, somebody gave you a chrysanthemum, and my mother-in-law at the time, God rest her soul, planted all of them and then complained about how they did for the next five years. <laughs> Because they were never as pretty as they were in those pots. Of course they weren't. They were grown on a greenhouse bench in a clay pot with attention twice a day. You know, you're not going to do that in your yard. But it was also partly the varieties. So some of them just do better than others. 
But how nice of you to put them in the garden. Yeah, that's nice. We did better in Pennsylvania when we lived there. Probably so. Because they were planted. They were planted close to the basement wall, and there was some heat that came yep. out there in the yep. In and the and it also the soil is different. We have, you know, one. I, I can remember being interviewed about one of my garden books by some friends of mine who who are garden radio people up in Pennsylvania, and you you know, you, the University of Pennsylvania has a wonderful horticulture department. They were both from there, really nice people, and they said, "So what's different about gardening in the South from here?" And I went, "Well." The ground never freezes, and the bugs don't die. And they both gasped. <laughs> so that's, uh -huh. And that's kind that's of the right. difference. <laughs> so. Oh, yes. yes the bugs I'm glad that die. you agree with me. But anyway, you're doing great. Yeah. You're doing better than 90% of people that try to do those. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't miss shoveling snow up there. Ooh-wee. Really? Uh, and and this, oh. week, this week, it's all flooding. They're having a hurricane. Good heavens. Thank you, Lawrence. Oh, Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Take care. Thanks. All that, excuse me, I didn't mean to cut him off. That, um, all of that water, you know, this is this Ian thing is a, is a water thing. And certainly it's not going to be like the devastation in Florida, but there's a lot of places that still have leaves on their trees, you know, as you go up Virginia and Pennsylvania and all up that way. The whole thing is still very, very green in many places, beautiful fall color, and now they're going to get whatever, a foot of water or something, who knows, in any individual place. But it, it's a big problem. It's just not as big a problem as we're seeing from that trail further south. And no, I'm not being judgy. I'm just saying I really appreciate I've never had anything good to say about the polar vortex, but I understand that it is the forming polar vortex, which I may be cursing later, that is pushing this cool weather to us and keeping all of that weather over yonder <laughs> on the Atlantic. So if you disagree with me, by all means, 888-808-8637. Maybe, you know, maybe you are in Florida. If you have electricity, you might be listening. And, of course, the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. There are so many things that I don't know, but I know cast iron plants. Aspidistra is their formal name, and I love those plants. But then again, I'm a big fan of almost any plant that will grow with no care at all, and all you have to do is contain it into its space, as long as it's fairly attractive. Now, if you've never grown cast iron plant, you may, you may have seen them in a large, thick planting underneath an oak tree somewhere. And then in front of that, usually there's leary oak, which is a much shorter plant. But cast iron plant got its name because, yes, it is as tough as the cast iron pans you inherited from your grandmother. There are sword-shaped leaves on single stems, and there are scores of them in every clump, okay? So it's a very dense plant. It's also a plant that, because we don't have to do much to it, people kind of ignore it. And over time, you know, it doesn't look so great. Wind will tear the leaves and they will, they'll shred a little bit. Sometimes the color will get pale because it's either very dry or very poor soil, but it'll grow in both places. It's just not going to look so great. When it looks raggedy like that, and especially if you have one of the fancier varieties of it that has beautiful variegated leaves or something, you, you look out there and you say, well, I, I need to fix this. It's easy. It's very, very easy. Cut the worst-looking leaves down to the ground. 
Then trim off the edges. Now, somebody much more educated than I ever was or will be showed me one time that in the greenhouse, for example, if you have a Dracaena, and you've probably had a Dracaena, and the tips of the leaves turn brown, if you go along to cut that off, cut it at a point so it doesn't look like it was ever there. Wow. I know. Those of you who realize these things on your own are not having the same revelation that I had that day. But since then, I have cut everything, including cast iron plant, so that it shapes back to the shape it should have been and just gets rid of the yellow or the torn part or the something. It looks a whole lot better. It's a lot of trouble at the time. But believe me, the cutting back stimulates more growth from the base and also keeps the whole thing looking neater. And you could even put some fertilizer out there every now and then if you felt like you needed to thicken it up. But it's a really nifty, beautiful plant. If, however, you move into a house and the stand is so thick that you can't get in there to cut them out, it's okay with me if you use the electric hedge trimmer. I know somebody gave you that, you know, probably when you got married or something, but you can use it for this particular job. Not a bad idea. Coffee drinking is uh, one of those things. That these two stories popped up on my screen almost at the same time this week, and it occurred to me that they might go together. I don't know. Coffee drinking is now associated with increased longevity. That's, in my case, a very good thing since I do like coffee. Um, avoiding coffee, for people who are affected by the, the impact of caffeine in a negative way, obviously you're going to avoid coffee or you're going to drink decaf. And any, that's all perfectly fine. I'm not saying that everybody should drink coffee regardless of how it affects them. But what they're in the European Journal of Preventative Cardio oh, cardiology, all right. This is one of the um, journals of that particular group that they study everything in great detail, in, in other words. This was an observational study. They worked with both instant and brewed and decaffeinated and ground all the different kinds of coffee. And what they found that the, believe it or not, the, the result was that people lived a little bit longer. And that's pretty neat. Now, I'm t I know that doesn't make any difference to most people because, frankly, so many things affect longevity. But it does give me a little a little heart. I, I used to have a great aunt who would, at the second cup of coffee, tell my grandmother to put it down. It was going to hurt her. They were sisters. They could say those things to each other. And I remember my grandmother tisking at her and drinking her coffee perfectly happily. And yes, she did outlive her by about 10 years. I don't know if this is real. Okay, I don't have anybody to compare it to. My own sister doesn't drink coffee at all, never has. But there are always those comparisons to be made. Jim, what's going on? Jim, how could you have anything at your house you don't know what it is? What plant are we talking about? Good morning. Good morning, Gardner. <clears throat> Quick little story, Gardner. My grandmother and granddaddy on my dad's side, they used to drink Folgers coffee in a little one-pound can. Mm-hmm. And they would get two makings out of a pound of coffee. Whew. That's a lot of coffee. That's a that's a thick one. <laughs> yes, ma'am. They boil that coffee in a pot. I boil water in a pot and put the coffee in there. My grandmother put eggshells in there to make oh, the coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can take them old flat biscuit, sugar, and pour that coffee. Now, darling, that's some good eating. 
I have to say, I, when I came up, when I grew up, my father made coffee. Um, he he was from Tennessee, and he made coffee that you could stand your spoon up in. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a little intense for me, but sure. I've got some plants growing around my house. They're, they're purple. They get up about knee high, and uh, around the outer edges of the leaves, they get dark. And I don't know what they are. To me, they're pretty. Well, always remember, always remember, a plant only gets called a weed because it's growing somewhere somebody doesn't want it. Okay, it's it, right. it's 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 a, it's a perfect, it's absolutely subjective, <laughs> judgmental decision to call a plant a weed. Now, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to think about it and I'm and and describe it one more time. It's purple leaves. Yes, ma'am. It's a it's a small plant. It's about maybe knee high, mm-hmm. and it bushes out. Don't never get no taller than that. It bushes out. It's purple, and it gets a little not brown, sort of brownish. I hate to say brownish blue, but it's something like that. Just tracing on the outside of every leaf. Okay. So it has a darker edge on the leaf. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I will see who can tell me. I appreciate hearing from you today, Jim. Yes, ma'am, and you too. Take care of yourself. Thank you much. Okay, if you know what it is, then you should tell me. I don't know what that one is, but it might occur to me, and I hope it will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I have so much to say about this song, but I don't think I really ought to do that. I think I should probably just say, glad you're here. So happy to be here myself. This is Weekend Gardening. is about overcoming obstacles. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. And those are the stories I love to tell in the broadcast booth. But the courage of college athletes is more than matched by another group of young men. The boys fighting Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's the most prolific genetic killer diagnosed in childhood. And there's no cure. But college football coaches are doing something about it. And you can help. It's called Coach to Cure MD. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill or go online at coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501 today. Help college football coaches cure MD. You'll be proud you did. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. 
Hello, my name is John Merrill, the owner of Amada Senior Care. We're your local trust advisor for senior home care. We provide experienced caregivers for your loved ones so they can remain in their home. Just like you would care for your loved ones, our employees provide assistance with their personal care needs. As your trusted senior advisor, I can help your family navigate the long-term care insurance process. Just call me, John Merrill with Amada Senior Care, for your free in-home consultation, 601 864-3752. From the very beginning, and every workday since, at every shift, and every individual effort, we carry a common purpose, a common cause. It's a duty we proudly honor, knowing behind every product we build is your faith in us, dedicated to the craft of gun making, dedicated to your freedom, equality, security, and the promise of this great country. Smith & Wesson, empowering Americans. Learn more at smith-wesson.com. Garden Mama here. Lakeland Yard and Garden Center has what you're looking for in its full-service nursery and garden center, greenhouse, and garden shop. Meet the professional staff at Lakeland, always ready to help you with trees and shrubs and patio furnishings, tables and cushions for entertaining, as well as pumpkins and pansies, plus soils, mulches, and amendments for your landscape and container plants. Lakeland has seeds and plants for your fall vegetable garden, too. Listen to your mama now. We're growing your way at Lakeland Yard and Garden Center. Lakeland Drive and Airport Road. Since 1920, many great beginnings in Mississippi have begun with a diamond from All Britain's Jewelers. Since then, we've changed in many ways, except in our commitment to our customers. Hi, I'm John All Britain. At All Britain's, we realize how important a diamond is to you. That's why our trained gemologist inspects every stone we sell. Whether you're buying your first diamond or celebrating your 25th anniversary, you can be confident of our quality and value. Come see why, since 1920, the people of Mississippi have chosen All Britons as their diamond store. Do you suffer from allergies, sinus or respiratory problems, or just want to improve the quality of air you breathe in your home or business? Pure Air Consultants can help. As your indoor environmental specialist, we clean air ducts, install UV lights, and service all makes and models of heating and cooling systems. We offer the most dependable Energy Star qualified systems in the industry. Call Pure Air Consultants today, 601-939-7420. A proud provider of Ream Home AC Systems. <laughs> Are you feeling it? <sighs> Ream. The new degree of comfort. What if there was a paint that could awaken something as old as that Rip Van Winkle guy? Hey, what? Because it could adhere to the most weathered exteriors and completely restore its youth. Hey, there's hair on my head again! If a paint could give any time-worn surface stunning new life, is it still paint? Regal Select Exterior from Benjamin Moore. Paint like no other. Seabrook Paints in Jackson and Ridgeland. Visit SeabrookPaints.com. Look around your world, pretty baby. Is it everything you hoped it'd be? The wrong guy, the wrong situation, the right time, the road to me. When it comes to native plants, I don't really think there's another one better than Spigela. But the problem is, here's, I've always said that oak leaf hydrangeas are every bit as beautiful as any other kind of hydrangea, plus they'll grow in the shade, which is really great, and they bloom in the fall, which is wonderful, but they take a couple of years to look good. You can take the French mop head hydrangea with the blue flowers or the pink flowers, plant it in the yard, and it's going to look great every year, okay? But it takes a couple of years for 
the ones with oak leaf shapes, oak shaped, oak leaf shaped leaves to actually get into their own and do what they need to do. I think Spigela has a similar problem, but it's the name. This is a cute plant, bright dark green leaves, really sturdy, very erect, very stiff little thing, cute plant. And the flowers are absolutely lovely. They're, they're, they're a bright red, and then they open up with a yellow star at the end. And for some reason, we call them Indian pink. That's, 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 that's not only doesn't make any sense, it's pejorative. Okay, so there, there are other names, but we just they, they don't seem to come to the top. Okay, point is, look for it as Spigela or Spigelia, technically, but you'll see it as Spigela. You know, just do you know about the word Dracaena? We have we, we look at, at, at Dracaena, and if you look at the botanical spelling, it has like three more letters in it than, than we ever pronounce. The same thing is true of Spigela. But check it out. It's essential for shady garden beds. It's a beautiful plant, and it's one that I wish we had another name for. What about that? Um, Sue and Loosedale has also got um, the, a purple plant, and we're, we're working on that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's cute. Trisha just sent in a picture of her um, her, her aspidistra, her cast iron plant. I didn't know that this would happen. She says that the deer kept eating them, <laughs> so she put these in a container. There are people that wish the deer would come and eat theirs because they've got so many. But any rate, um, that's really neat. I, the only thing I would do, I, I would uh, the only thing I would do for this plant is fertilize it. And and actually, all you need to give it is a slow release fertilizer in that container. Just leave it there. Give it some twice a year, and it will be fine. The brown tips on the leaves are probably just because it got so dry over the last several weeks, and it can get a brown tip without a problem. Just trim it off. It'll be it'll be great. Thanks for sending that. That's wonderful. Um, really neat. <laughs> How do you keep deer from eating camellias? Well. It's the same as anything else. You have to exclude them, and that means build, putting a fence around your garden or putting a fence around that particular plant that's a few couple of feet out so the deer can't lean in. But remember, deer can jump, so you've always got that issue. Um, people will use, at times, some repellent pl properties, or they'll plant something else on the other side of the yard that the deer would prefer. I don't know how well either one of those things actually works because I've seen I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. So, but that's an interesting question and one that we we do ponder it every year. If they're eating the flowers, there's not really much because you know if they're eating the plant, you're going to want to exclude it entirely. Okay, okay. Um, let me see now. Okay, Mary's in Pearl. This is an interesting question. It, it, I don't know if I have the answer to it exactly formed in my head, though. She wants to drench the plants to bring inside for the winter. She has seven, and she has insecticidal soap. The insecticidal soap mixed up in a, as it would be mixed up for use as a spray is fine as a drench for this. And you don't even have to really come back. If you use other things, sometimes you'll want to come back and, and water the plant thoroughly a couple of hours later, particularly if you use a homemade remedy of some sort. But in the case of insecticidal soap, it will, it'll take care of it. I would spray the plant and drench the pot, and you're, you're done with it. The seven is for chewing insects. 
So the seven would only be appropriate if you were having some kind of an outbreak of, of caterpillars or something that were that were eating the leaves of your plants, um, or if you had like like I have um, little holes in things that, that you know you've got a, a beetle taking a little taking aim at you, but that's not likely to be the case in tropical foliage plants that you would be bringing inside. Okay, okay. I did not know this. I. Uh, <laughs> I never thought about this. The hemispheres of your brain are not equal. Now, there's a headline for you. For people who understand about what one side of your brain does and what the other side does, knowing that they're not symmetrical could be very enlightening. I think I need to think about this. I really do. Brenda's in Goche. Welcome in, Brenda. Thank you for calling Weekend Gardening. What's on your mind today? Hey, Brenda. Uh, yes, I have a plant that someone gave me, mm-hmm. and it, it, it has like a trunk, and it has like a large heart-shaped leaves. I don't know the name of the plant, mm-hmm. but the leaves just keep falling off. I haven't had it very long, and it, they start at the bottom, and now I just have leaves at the top. Okay, and it's supposed to water it. It's, it's, supposed to be a, it, it. it's supposed to be a house plant? I'm assuming. Okay. Um, keeping the humidity up around it, keeping it watered regularly but not too much, and keeping it in a bright window is generally the prescription for healthy, happy life of houseplants. If it was separated from another container or even from the ground, you know, and put into a container for you recently, it could just be as simple as a transplant shock and it's going to get over it in a little while. On the other hand, if it's if it was fine and now it started doing this, I would start looking for make to make sure that the water drains all the way through the container when you water it, and then don't water it again until the top of the soil feels dry. That's usual. That's the, the not knowing what the plant is. It's hard for me to say, but that's really the the general prescription. We tend to overwater plants inside, especially if they lose their leaves, and that can actually just lead us to put too much water in the soil. It makes it harder for the plant to put on new leaves. So I'd water it thoroughly, completely, so the water goes out the bottom, and then don't water it again until the top of the soil feels dry. I would also try to increase the humidity around it. You might miss the plant or put it in a group of other plants so that they can put humidity into each other's um, world a little bit better. It sounds okay, like it I, might... I try. Are the leaves are, are the leaves about okay? Well, if you can send a picture either on the text line or you can send it to me during the week to Mama on Air at yahoo.com. Either way, okay, I'll be glad to help. Okay, I did, I did send you a text. I don't know if you received it, but I did send one. Well, um, you sent it here to the station. I don't see it yet, but we'll yes, I will yes. I will look yes. for it. We'll, okay, we'll try and find it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Brenda. Good to hear from you. Goche is such a nice place. It's a, a, a nice place. We'll go look for the heart-shaped leaf here now. Okay? Okay. I did not know, and I'm... Speaking of weeds, let me try this. The plants that are weeds are the plants growing where the gardener does not want them. My neighbor has the remains of a St. Augustine lawn, and I have a zoysia lawn. The two kind of run together, but now the problem is that the St. Augustine that he would actually like to keep in his yard is now running under my other plants. For example, I have palmettos, um, and and there's a few cashmere bouquets in there. There's some uh, flag iris. It's, it's just a clump of plants, okay, in a very wet corner of 
my where my roof drains really wet into a, a space. The plants are lovely. Well, I think they sent up a sign that says, "Hey, it's damp over here, St. Augustine. Come on over." I was weeding out there yesterday, and yes, this is all in um, anticipation of the Fondren Bottle Tree and Garden Tour on October the 9th, where I will be standing in my front yard showing off the weeds of Fondren, which is what I have to show you. Um, this is one of those cases where I just hate to say that St. Augustine, because I just love the lawn, but it's up wrapping itself around my plants, and I don't like it, and therefore it becomes a weed. Any plant that is not growing where the gardener wants it is, by definition, something you're going to yank out of there, and it's a weed. So I would love to think that I would then go take those and put them in flats and grow some more St. Augustine plugs and give them to my neighbor. I'm not going to do that. The good thing is they compost really well. So if you've got a plant that you don't like, it's a weed. If you don't want it where it is, it's a weed. And sometimes if you can't get rid of it, it's a weed. That's true, too. I've noticed the hummingbirds lately are liking the weeds, the blooms off of, like, the cypress weed, if that's what you call it. It's kind of the vine with the red Well, I call flowers. that one cypress vine. Some people call it names that I can't repeat on the radio because it recedes so prolifically and comes up everywhere. People say that about chives, though. Mm-hmm. Chives will literally, you, you look around and they've, they've flung their seeds across the room. The spigula that I was talking about throws its seeds and you can't find it until it comes up because they're so far from the, the main clump. The, you know, you got it. The vine, it's, it looks like a little vine. It's almost like a heart shaped, small it's, green leaf with a purple flower on it. Also, this we've seen growing in the, in the, you know, hummingbirds are just flocking to yep. the cypress and whatever this little purple uh, flower is. is. It, and, is and it they're tube shaped? Uh, it, it's kind of tube shaped. Yeah, that's both one of, of those. The, well, that's one of the wild morning glories. We have wild a bunch morning of those. Glory, yeah, yeah, we yeah. also have tyvine, which will bloom too. Well, and Kerry kept telling me, I think this is supposed to flower, and I and I can't. No, let's keep pulling it back. And finally, <laughs> I, I let it go in the pot outside, and it really took off. And like I said, we're I mean, hummingbirds are all over it. Well, right now we've got all sorts of wonderful. Um, I, I was happy to say this. This, this week, there were three different kinds of butterflies on my lantanas. One lantana bush. I said, what are y'all doing here? Y'all never come in here at the same time. It's like going to a diner, you know, and suddenly you see everybody that you know. But that's been that kind of week. The hummingbirds have been very happy to find every tubular flower. I have a tiny little blue morning glory, well, purple anyway, that, that was in a mix of other things. In my, I'm going to plant these seeds and see what happens department. And they have just... Now I'm going to have to plant something else there that will do the same thing, because otherwise they'll be circling around looking for it. <laughs> well, they, you know, and they're avoiding the the juice right now to go to the beautiful flowers, and we have flowers that really grow right next to the hummingbird feeders, yeah. and it's fun watching them pick and choose. They're going straight to the flower right now until they're not there, and then I assume they'll go right back to the feed. Well, I'm told that they do that when the temperature, either when the solution has been in there too long, like more than a week, which obviously y'all wouldn't do, but some people would but it's also true that when the temperature is cooler they'll pick the flowers isn't that funny that they have i mean everybody's got their own taste and in the case of the hummingbirds they're they're gearing up they're going to get the most efficient body weight that they can get to take off and do what they need to do and yeah we do have some that stay here all winter but not that many not that many Triple eight eight zero eight eight six three seven. You can always talk to me on Saturdays. Because guess what? It's weekend gardening. And if you want to send me some pictures, send me some info, and I would love for you to do that. Six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. The ceasefire text line. I uh, 
I'm not going to be an astronomer. You know, life has just kind of gotten away from me for, for exploring the stars. Although I will admit that I watched about 30 minutes of Return of the Jedi yesterday. But anyway, there's no reason for that at all. It was just, I was doing other things and it was, it's, it's very enchanting. Um, I will tell you, though, that the people that I admire, the actual astronomers, you know, do you know that both the Webb and the Hubble caught the NASA experiment where they hit the asteroid in there, and we don't know yet if it worked, but their, their attempt to move it off course just slightly? There's two different images out there that y'all need to go check out because you will see right there in front of you the difference between the Hubble and the Webb telescopes and how far we as a human race have come in our ability to look at the stars and to see what's going on. University of Hawaii at Manoa has now assembled the largest ever compilation of high precision, I mean right down to it, galaxy distances. This is called Cosmic Flows Dash 4. This is so cool. 56,000 galaxies in the catalog. How do we do that? I, I remember as a child, and even not even as a child, as a full-grown person, there was the Milky Way, and then there was Andromeda, and then, you know, I mean, it, but there's not 56,000. Nobody considered that. But these are, in fact, the way that the universe is put together because, frankly, just like everything else, there's got to be parts. There's got to be things have to fit together either in a jigsaw puzzle or in some sort of array in order for this to work. The expansion rate of the universe, or the, the Hubble constant, is what this thing is caused, uh, called. Um, they really, they're able to do this with such certainty, it's closer than the margin of error for a political poll, okay, which is usually like three points. This is like 1.5. This is really amazing stuff. And I love that they're able to do this. Um, they, they, the Institute of Astronomy, is working with the University of Hawaii at Manoa, has published in the Astrophysical Journal. And one of the things that they, they've learned, of course, over time is that there were galaxies separate from the Milky Way. So this has only been 100 years of these measurements. Think about that. My goodness. Somebody's 100 years old today. Think of the things that they saw. And happy birthday, by the way. Did you know that on October 1st, Henry Ford introduced the Model T? Yep, that's right. And believe you me, I'd wish I still had one. No, I didn't really. But my family did. <laughs> Stick around now. We've got a long way to go. This is Weekend Gardening. Do you ever feel like you're in the dark? Well, with a propane generator, you'll never be in the dark again, at least when the lights go out. Enjoy the comfort and safety of knowing you have a propane generator always ready when the electricity goes out. Propane generators are sure you'll always have power. Propane-fueled, clean cooking, hot water on demand, warm and consistent heat, and power when you need it most. Why would you choose anything else? Energy for everyone, propane. Visit MSPropane.com. That's MSPropane.com today.
You know that nowadays, most people go online to look at a business before they spend their money. But what if the online information about your business is incorrect, or even worse, not very flattering? If your online presence isn't great, you may be losing customers. Super Talk Mississippi Media Digital's trusted and highly trained team is the answer. We're ready to work with you to help your business capitalize on the power of digital marketing. Call 601-991-2305 or go to stmmdigital.com to get started today. What did nine out of 10 people who died from COVID have in common? They were 50 or older. And if you have a condition like heart disease or diabetes, your risk is even higher. COVID vaccines lower the risk of death. Get your updated vaccine now. It could save your life. We can do this. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Just dream, dream big, because it's Miscali's anniversary, and we're celebrating with a big event Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Monday. Save up to 15% off the looks you want. Plus, with special 60 months financing, there is never a down payment required. Don't wait any longer to buy your new sectional or bedroom with savings up to 15% and easy payments. This is the sale you've been waiting on. We're celebrating our 44th year with four big days through Monday at Miscali's. Research shows moving is one of life's most stressful events, but thanks to Two Men in a Truck Ridgeland, it doesn't have to be. We have everything you need, a professional team who will customize your move, a schedule to fit your convenience Monday through Saturday, and all of the necessary moving supplies, including free padding and stretch wrap to protect your belongings. Don't stress. Let Two Men in a Truck handle your home or business moving needs. Visit twomenandatruck.com for a free, no-obligation estimate. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. Celebrating our 40th anniversary at Cock of the Walk. Voted the best catfish in Mississippi with our grilled or fried catfish along with greens, coleslaw, and a skillet of our homemade cornbread. With locations on the Reservoir, Pocahontas, and one mile from the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. Catfish, hush puppies, and fried dill pickles. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. I like chicken. I like fish. I like hush puppies. I love it. Catfish is excellent. For a flipping good time, come down to Cock of the Walk. Garden Mama here for Lakeland Yard and Garden Center. Brighten the coming fall days and spice up your porch with the magnificent colors of cushion mums in bud and bloom. Lakeland has them. While you're there, be sure to check out the large selection of tropical plants and citrus trees for your sunroom, too. And don't forget to pick up winterizer for your lawn. Fall feeding promotes deep root growth and helps your lawn weather the winter. Listen to your mama now. We're growing your way at Lakeland Yard and Garden Center, Lakeland Drive and Airport Road. Hey, I'm here with Alex Murray of Auto Innovation. At Auto Innovation, we want to change your car buying experience. When you're in the market for a quality pre-owned vehicle, please come see us. We want to make friends, not just customers. All eligible vehicles are inspected by a Master Tech mechanic and come with a limited powertrain warranty on us. We are located on Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Come by and see us or check out our inventory online at autoinnovation.net. Let us change your car buying experience. Auto Innovation, Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Somebody fetch my coat and hat 
you're driving down the highway today and you said, what is that wonderful road music? Well, that's just a little bit of weekend gardening for you. And yes, I'm, I'm an Elvin Bishop fan. Can't help it. Always will be. I really love the fossil record, but I got to tell you, sometimes the things we find out when the archaeologists and anthropologists get together and, and look at all these things that we've left for so long and try and make cultural implications from them, it can be very exciting. The oldest representative of humankind, um, this is indeed a bipedal, yes, that's right, standing up, uh, standing upright. Um, say Helanthropus. I always say, always want this one to be say hello to you, say Helanthropus, um, but that's because I have terrible sense of humor. Any rate, discovered in 2001 in an expedition um, and on a dig in Chad. The thing about it is the difference in the way your skull is shaped can tell these folks whether you stood upright or whether you leaned over. I worry that we're going to go back to four-legged because we're going to have telephones hung around our necks. And we're going to end up with some other appendage, you know, like something holding on to one and walking on three legs or something. I can't imagine how many people there are with rounded shoulders. I had rounded shoulders before telephones from typewriters and playing the flute and leaning over on all sorts of sewing machines because I'm taller than almost everything I've ever been set down to do. But I can't imagine if I had been on a telephone in my hand for all these this time, you probably wouldn't be able to see my neck at all. It would probably just be, you know, literally shoved into my chest. I worry about us because of that, because we frankly had to go through a whole lot of steps to ever get the oldest one up on two legs. So you need to think about this. We've got a lot of stuff to work on, and one of the things we need to work on is how we're going to do this. How are we going to continue to have all the information in the world, at least, possibly in the universe, in our hand without wrecking the rest of our body to try and get to it. I'm not, I mean, that's not, not just pick up milk at the store, please text. You know, it's not that. This is all the other stuff that we know. Fascinating stuff. I also think this is really interesting. We are now seeing so many moves. You may remember I've reported here. There's a lot of work being done to try and persuade people, if not legislate, against the eating of octopus and squid and other, quite frankly, high-functioning ocean creatures of that sort. They have eight brains. We have one. And indeed, if we, if we think about it, they'll outthink us, whatever's going on. They, they, they can do things. They can fit their bodies into stuff that we could never fit our spa in, relative to the size of them. They can literally work one arm while the other one is being cut off by somebody or some boat. All right? It's, just, it's an amazing creature. And the more we think about it, the more we know. But University of Guam is reporting to us that, in fact, these are cowrie shell artifacts. These are beautiful. I can see why they're irresistible. These are the oldest octopus lures in the world from the Mariana Islands. They're, they're gorgeous. They should be, they're, they're a form that we want to keep, but we shouldn't use them for this. And they don't use them anymore because they, they, they do other things. But um, I, I got to tell you, World Archaeology is a journal that I have never read other than the reports that I bring to you. It's not one that, that I hold on to. But... This, this quote, I don't, I don't read these quotes too often, but this one is really something. Okay, the title of the study. Let's catch octopus for dinner. Ancient invention of in octopus lures in the Mariana Islands of the remote tropical Pacific. 
clearly they had too many letters available. They were not wordling that day, or they just would have put lures as their title. Peer-reviewed academic journal is letting us know that this whole business, they are, they're cowrie shells, which is a, a type of a sea snail, and they use those because it's attractive to octopus, and indeed a stone sinker and, yes, a hook. They've been found in seven different sites. So they were used, they worked, they knew about them, they couldn't figure out what they were for, and sadly, they, they found out. Um, they're, they're, it, they were not actually for the things that they thought they were for. They're octopus lures, and they're really beautiful. I'm so sorry. Hate to tell you. <laughs> I hate to tell you. Um, yeah, that could be Perilla Susanna. It occurred to me, but he didn't say anything about frilly edges or that it looked like a coleus. The, the purple plant, purple leaf plant, and it could well be. The, someone else sent a picture that of one that could be perilla or could be cashmere bouquet. I can't tell from because there's no flower blooming. I couldn't tell exactly what the flower is supposed to look like, and I did ask Sue and Loosedale. But yes, perilla. I mean, perilla is one of my favorite things. Um, have you discovered furikake yet? Do you know to put things in rice that are different seasonings than you ever knew about? For those of us who try to live with less salt, there are a lot of other flavorful things out there. And this is a shaker of various and sundry things. Kind of like if, if you had to put it into Western culture instead of instead of the Oriental culture, well, I'm sorry, Asian culture, where that it comes from, it, it would be um, like the everything bagel topping. It's, it's all these things in a bottle, and you shake them out onto your rice or onto your vegetables and stuff, and it's, it's, it's a furikake, but there are a whole bunch of different ones. The one that is perilla is one of the best-tasting things I have ever encountered. I love perilla, and the purple perilla is one of the pretty fall plants that we get to have in this part of the world. But I, I need a frillier edge. They, generally speaking, have a very notched edge, and they look a whole lot like coleus and have a rough texture. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But it, it is a, it's a beauty. You're absolutely right, Suzanne. Thank you for throwing that one in here. The Lycoris competition seems to have heated up to, I believe, Jerry Palmer, let me know if I'm wrong, but I think it was 34 inches tall was the tallest one in the, in the competition because, you know, red spider lilies come up on their stem before they put their leaves up, and there was so much water in the springtime when the bulbs were growing that they now that we have seen some with very, very tall stems, and there was a contest uh, in, in his world. He, he act, his farm is like Horace Rose, so that tells you what grows there, among other many, many other things. He's a bulb collector. And one of the things that is so nifty about that is that so many people were interested and so many people had one to show off. I love that. I did not measure mine. I was too busy measuring Paul the Poinsettia. Paul the Poinsettia is the, from, from a four-inch pot that was thrown out, yes, in this building, picked it up, wilted completely, and took it home four years ago. Paul is now three feet tall and three feet wide. I can't put him in the dark. <laughs> He's going to bloom when he wants to. But it's one of those things where if you grow something and you appreciate it, you really get into it. You enjoy it a whole lot. And those Lycoris, the red spider lilies, are one of the things that we really do appreciate in this part of the world. If you are dividing perennials, I really need to encourage you to water first. You, you look out and you say, oh, this would be a beautiful day to divide those iris. I have a bucket full of bearded iris that need to be planted, and it's actually too dry to plant them. So it's certainly too dry to start digging things up in my garden. Maybe not in yours, but in my garden. So get out there, and if the, the soil is dry, dry, 
Water it, come back later on in the day and do your digging and dividing. You don't want to rip the roots out of dry soil and you certainly don't want to take the plant without its roots, which can happen when the soil is dry and you go to try to dig it up. They just dissolve on you. They just kind of waste away into the dirt. And at that point, you're not getting what you need for the, the dividing and the digging. So give yourself that opportunity. Water first, dig and divide later on. All right? All right. Coming up in the next hour, I will have more information for you. Want to talk Christmas cactus? Want to talk about preserving hydrangeas for the vase? And um, how do fish learn to swim upside down? We've got that for you. As always, Gardening with Guts coming up in the second hour of Weekend Gardening. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're about to fire up some delicious steaks in the backyard and suddenly the wind blows out your propane grill flame. Now what? First, turn off the gas and open up the grill lid. Check your grill manufacturer's instructions for when it's safe to relight the grill, but always leave the gas off and the lid open for at least five minutes before relighting. And remember, never lean over the grill during lighting or cooking. Energy for everyone, propane. Visit MSPropane.com, that's MSPropane.com to learn more. Are you having sewer and drain problems? Call the experts, Roto-Rooter. Since 1934, Roto-Rooter Plumbing has been fixing small home disasters. Mention this ad for $25 off any service. Call Roto-Rooter, 601-353-3333. That's 601-353-3333. Call Roto-Rooter, that's the name. And a winkle troubles down the drain. Roto-Rooter. Hi, I'm Thomas Trammell with Family Termite. With all the rain and heat that we've been having lately, the insects and termites are going crazy. Make sure to call us so that we can help protect your home at 601-933-1014 or reach us on our website at www.family-termite.com. That's Family Termite at 601-933-1014 or our website at www.family-termite.com. You're listening to WFMN Flora Jackson, Super Talk Mississippi, powered by your tree professionals at Baroni's Tree Pros. Online at baroniestreepros.com. Caleb Sailors, and you're listening to Super Talk Mississippi News. As congressional candidates continue to vie to be elected in the November midterms, Kimberly Campbell, the Mississippi director for the AARP, is encouraging bipartisan support for a tax credit that will alleviate the financial burden on individuals who are responsible for caring for loved ones. 
a caregiver tax credit. And what, what I mean by that is, for instance, in the state of Mississippi, we roughly have 500,000 adults every year uh, that in some facet finds themselves as a caregiver for a loved one. You know, it can be an extra financial hardship you know sometimes they lose their jobs while they're taking care of, of, of loved ones but yeah so we we want something to be done to try to you know alleviate some of those financial burdens for the spouses and and other people that may be caregivers for for loved ones campbell would also like to see legislation that will protect social security and improve medicare from the ground up from the grassroots that's how we began in 1922 and that's how we do things today the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation celebrates 100 years in 2022. 100 years of farming, ranching, and supporting our 180,000 member families. From our state capital in Jackson to our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Creating policy, advocating for a better way of life for all Mississippi. We've been there through the tough times when Hurricane Katrina blew ashore. There is extensive damage on U.S. 90 triumphant times, winning the right to vote to protect private property rights for Mississippians. We introduced benefits like our insurance in the 1940s and fought to stretch broadband internet service from DeSoto County to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So, from the ground up, not just a farm organization, 100 years of strengthening our families, our communities, and our state. The Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation. 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. The Treasury Department is establishing new rules to keep tabs on the owners of small companies. This is going to affect most businesses with fewer than 20 employees. Fox's Jared Halpern has the details. Treasury officials say the new rules will bring about a sea change in corporate transparency, establishing a database of personal information on the owners of millions of U.S. businesses. It's part of an effort to combat illicit finance and comes as U.S. and Western allies attempt to sanction Russian billionaires and other allies of Russian President Vladimir Putin. In a statement, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the rule will make it harder for criminals, organized crime rings, and other illicit actors to hide their identities and launder money. Most businesses with fewer than 20 employees will need to register with the government and report to people who own, control, or created those firms. Sports for Mississippi, I'm Dixon Williams. The first Saturday in October finds the Ole Miss Rebels at home to open Southeastern Conference play with the Kentucky Wildcats. The Wildcats come in 4-0 and rank 7th. Ole Miss is ranked 14th, and they are 4-0. and 11 a.m. is the kickoff at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. 9 a.m. this morning at the airtime on the Ole Miss Football Network. And then the Mississippi State Bulldogs are at home against Texas A&M this afternoon. 3 o'clock is the kick at Scott Field. 1 o'clock is the airtime this afternoon on the Mississippi State Football Network. Other action in Southeastern Conference, East Washington and Florida were to play in Florida today, but that game's been moved to Sunday to get out of the way of Hurricane Ian. The other action is Alabama is at Arkansas in the feature game at 2.30 on CBS this afternoon. LSU is at Auburn, and number one ranked Georgia is at Missouri. I'm Dixon Williams. This is Super Talk Sports Mississippi. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. This is Ernie Johnson Jr., and those are the stories I love to tell in the broadcast booth. But the courage of college athletes is more than matched by another group of young men, the boys fighting Duchenne muscular dystrophy. 
It's the most prolific genetic killer diagnosed in childhood. And there's no cure. But college football coaches are doing something about it. And you can help. It's called Coach to Cure MD. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill or go online at coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501 today. Help college football coaches cure MD. You'll be proud you did. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You can have NFL football for breakfast on Sunday as the Minnesota Vikings take on the New Orleans Saints in London. It's an 8.30 a.m. kickoff here in Mississippi as Minnesota and New Orleans will start the NFL day Sunday, 8.30 in the morning from London. And there's a book signing to be held at the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame Museum this coming Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Former MSU Sports Information Director Bo Carter will be on hand to sign his book on Dizzy Dean entitled Dizzy. Dean of Baseball and my partner. Carter is an avid baseball fan. He wrote this from a very intimate perspective for Dizzy. Dean spent his final years in Wiggins, Mississippi, and his collection of memorabilia is on display at the Mississippi Post Hall of Fame every day. There's no admission charge for the book signing. The Dizzy Dean collection will be open for the viewing Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. I'm Dixon Williams. This is Super Talk Sports, Mississippi. your host, the empress of everything green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mama's on the radio now to answer your questions and call you. Well, hey, baby, what's going on? Thank you so much for deciding to be part of Weekend Gardening today. You might be listening today. You might be listening to the rebroadcast. You might be listening on demand. You might be listening to the podcast. I just appreciate you listening whenever that is. Consider yourself welcome to the Garden Mama community. And of course, as always, what's on your mind? What's growing? What's not growing? What would you like to be growing? What's the neighbor got that you want or you don't want? (laughs) Either way around. Good question from uh, Tom in Starkville. For those of you who've listened to me for a long time, you can almost guess what the answer is going to be. However, I think he's more interested in the timing than he is, in my opinion, of his choice of fertilizers. I have triple 13 left over from deer plots. Is it safe to use on azaleas, hydrangeas, roses, and sweet olives? Not right now, for sure, because there's too much nitrogen in there. If you send, if you fertilize all those plants now with a, a product that has that much nitrogen in it or any nitrogen at all actually you will get leafy growth and then when the freeze comes it will be damaged and you'll be out there frankly taking my name in vain because you won't like the way the plants look so don't use it now now to the bigger point triple 13 is a fertilizer that is really made for using in a field like maybe he's got a a deer plot you know that you you end up putting the fertilizer out behind the tractor that's what it's for it's it is literally made to be able to fall out of a dispenser and not lose its juice not come apart and not fall up you know not degrade on you so it has to be able to hit there hit the soil and get in there in one piece 
it also has a lot of salt in order to carry it to that point to get it there and also to make the nutrients available that is the carrier those are not things that i want in the soil that i'm trying to build because they in turn have an impact on it it's different coming out of a tractor than and going into that kind of production than it is going into my my back garden that being said every spring i can tell you that there are people i know personally and the plants look great who go out and feed all of these shrubs and trees with triple 13 every year in march and they will laugh at me when i tell them that it's not something i do that i use other products so yes you can use it not now (laughs) that's the answer to that one triple 13 is Pretty intense, pretty harsh. It 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 makes eight 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 look like a simple product, and it an eight 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 is not. So, go ahead, call me about ten ten ten. I'll go the same direction. The point is, you got to be wanting to have a balanced formula put out, and to put out a balanced formula now on shrubs and trees is going to cause them to put out too much leafy growth and be vulnerable to freezing very soon. Same reason that you don't fertilize your lawn in October unless you have just sprouted perennial ryegrass to try and keep it from eroding, for example, on a new construction site or something like that. That you'll fertilize, of course. That and the fact that you want to be able to take your relatives out there in December and show them that you have a green lawn (laughs) because they're from Iowa or somewhere. <laughs> what is the hey, when it comes to you know most fertilizers? Are, are you wanting to ensure that you're you got rain coming? Uh, you know at this time of year, if you do fertilize, say with you know um, uh, you know a field or a food plot, or or is it something where that's you know your fertilizer is going to burn it this time of year? Is it cool enough? I, I've always been a little confused on how much and when you need to water after fertilizing. You would like. You would like to see the clouds on the horizon as you are (laughs) putting out the fertilizer or to go out right after the rain. And since neither of those things are likely to happen, I'm going to suggest that you water or wait a while. the, The problem, yes, the fertilizer will burn right through a leaf. It absolutely will. If you've ever seen anybody who got over enthusiastic about their first corn plot, You know, the tradition in corn growing, if you're growing a tall variety, is that you feed it at knee high and at waist high. And when it, you know, when it gets that tall, that's kind of the key. It's one of those, doesn't apply to everything, but that's, that's the the generally accepted point. And if people go out there when it's at knee high and start just flinging, usually it's a a solid nitrogen, then a lot of people use ammonium nitrate for that. But you, you, you throw that out there. And you'll come back the next day and there's little holes in everyone else's leaves where the fertilizer hit it. So that's why we do that. That's where side dressing came from is in our ability. We wanted that leaf to be intact so it can photosynthesize to its max. We also want to fertilize it and we don't want to have to mix up a bunch of water and haul it out to the field. So we use a granular product. Well, in order to keep the granular product from poking holes in the leaves, we just dig a little trench down next to them, put the fertilizer in it in what's you know just called a band of fertilizer, cover it back up. And then you also don't have to worry that it's going to rain that day or that night that night. It's only when you put it on the surface and it might get on the leaves and stuff, or frankly, in some places, just be blown away by the wind. We also have that as a fertilizer issue in some places. So I, I have... I have great love for fertilizer and more experience with it than I probably want because I'm always trying to see what's going to work better than the next thing. And 
sometimes you sometimes you find one, sometimes you don't. But that's that's for sure. I promised I would tell you about um, <laughs> hydrangeas for the vase and fish swimming upside down. Let's see now, which is more interesting? <laughs> I think the University of Copenhagen's study about ancient fish and the way that they learned how to swim upside down. That's really interesting. There are primordial fish. Um, there, there, it's a, a terrible, terrible thing to have only one left because then the studies go across incredible. For example, this particular co- coalanthus came across in, in 1938 because this the South African fishermen, you know, nobody had seen it. Um, and we call them coelacanths. Coelacanths. It was believed to have been extinct for already like 60 million years or something. So when they found one, they immediately preserved it. And what that means or what that meant in those times was, no, they didn't build it a tank. They basically pickled it so that they could continue to look at it. It is iconic. It is extremely rare. And because it is such a very elusive deep sea dweller, we've not seen another one. Now, presumably, if there's one, there's more than one. But what they have learned is that there are really interesting bits and pieces in their brain that essentially just turn it upside down. There, if, if, you, if you think of it as a level, and you're going to put it on to see whether or not, you know, you got the little bubble in there, and you, you're seeing whether or not the bookcase is going to be, you know, right on the wall, or if it's going to be wonky and you have to move it, you, you have the level there well when the level floats in one direction or the other it basically changes and disappears in the case of this this critter the trigger mechanism disappears turns upside down and therefore the fish can swim upside down pretty amazing Um, they have in fact found a few worldwide since then but this is the only one that they will study because it is the only one that they have indeed you know that they have to study that is intact. Now, it's pickled, but it's still not like trying to go to the deep, the depths of the ocean to find another one to study. So that's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting stuff. And yes, I promise I have a little bit more information about hydrangeas. Y'all have heard me tell the story, I hope. And if you haven't, it's a good story. If you have, it's one of my best stories. So stick with me here for just a moment. When I was a young woman living on the West Coast, I was asked to do the wedding flowers for someone that was getting married, and, and I was asked to actually assist with it. It was being done, the, wed- the flowers were being done by one person who had been married to this guy, and she had decided that she needed not to be married. They, they, they got divorced, and it was not pleasant, but she was a wonderful florist. So when he got married again, they worked it out enough so that she could do the flowers for him. Well, she didn't tell me that the reason she was a great florist is because she was also a bit of a marauder. Back in the day, you didn't think so much about picking flowers off the roadside unless you were way out in the country. Well, these were houses in San Francisco, in town. I found myself in a station wagon with a woman that I consider to be a delightful person, but I had no idea that my job was going to be to jump out of the car, run over, clip the hydrangeas, and throw them in the back of the station wagon from these people's yards. But that was my job. I didn't take everyone. In fact, I didn't take as many as she wanted because I was determined to leave some. But I think now how horrified I would be if if I came out and half my hydrangea flowers were gone one morning. I'd be like, oh, somebody's having a wedding. No, you wouldn't think that. You would think that something crazy had happened. Well, 
any rate, so we took them all back to the house. And she says, okay, you're from the south. I presume you know how to preserve these things because we were going to build an arch out of the hydrangeas on the beach, on Stinson Beach. We actually did this. I, I, I'm not making this up. I was there. I had a part in it. And I said, well, the only, thing I don't, only way I know to preserve hydrangeas is to make a fresh cut in the base and burn it on a gas stove. Which, of course, we didn't have a gas stove. We had an electric stove, so we had to go and find a lantern, and there were hundreds of these things. So we stayed up all night burning the stems. You burn the stem to seal the latex inside the stem, and then you plunge the head into the bathtub, or in this case, every container that you could put water in all across this house to get them to stay and hydrate and be able to be used all day long. Long story short, turned out beautifully. But if I had known that I didn't have to do that, the burning of the stems and the plunging of the heads and all that stuff, I might have stolen more. Here's how you do it. Hydrangea stems can be either woody or green when they're mature. You go cut one today, you may find the one next to it has a woody stem. The one right there looking at you has a green stem. Either way, you do this whole thing. Take two buckets, and you got to be able to boil water. I have a kettle for that. You might need to boil some somewhere else and bring it with you. Take that single-bladed knife. Make slanted cuts in each of the stems as you take them off the plant. Put that cut stem into the bucket of cool water first, all right? That's so that it doesn't lose any juice between the cutting and the conditioning. Then, right after that, take a, an inch of boiled water and add it to that container. So you basically, you're putting them in warm water, but you're putting them in warm water with a little bit of a shock. You've got cool water put the stems in, then add the hot water to shock them. That's what stops the latex from sealing out, from um, rolling out the bottom of the stem. That seals them up a little bit. Then, after that stands there for a while, you're going to cut them to the length that you want and hold the bottom inch of the stems in just hot water. So that's why you need the second bucket for 30 seconds. That's all there is to it. Well, how much easier is that? You don't have to carry the armloads of the things around and find the fire and, you know, good grief. It worked a whole lot better. Then you put them, of course, in cool water and, and let them sit there and as, you, as you're arranging them. No, we didn't get arrested. No, nobody took any shots at us. But if you, if you ever think of your youthful pranks, you can add this one to your list of the things that I would not do again. <laughs> I just would not do that again. <laughs> they let me I let them talk me into that. I can't I still can't believe I did that. But there are only a few of those and none of them are any more dangerous than that one was. I know. They didn't pull up in my yard. <laughs> I at least would have had to run outside and start yelling or do something. <laughs> but nope, nobody said a word. Nobody said a word. Speaking of weddings, I always associate diamonds with weddings. I, uh, I I confess, y'all know that I have had an evolution in my opinion of the one and only Guy Fieri, the sh celebrity chef guy. I was not real impressed with him when he won Food Network Star, and I was not really impressed with him when he opened Johnny Rockets, and I was not really impressed with a lot of it. But he's grown, my friends, and this is proof to prove that a guy from Santa Rosa, California, can actually turn into a human being of great weight. And obviously his TV empire is something, but his ability to get people to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do, such as shout out the answers to silly trivia questions and all this sort of stuff, 
I find amazing because I, I, I'm impressed with how people cook and how they take care of their business of, of, of food, you know, that whole world. But I like it even more when they seem to like each other. And that, that same thing is true of, of garden writers. I've always enjoyed going to conventions of garden writers because we all like each other, at least at first. We, we start with that because it's, we have a shared place to be. You have that in your profession, whatever it happens to be. Maybe you have it in your neighborhood. Maybe you have it at your church. You have a thing that brings you together, and that makes it easier to become friends. So, for example, this week I learned, and no, I don't watch things in real time, but this week I learned that, in fact, diamonds can be made from peanut butter. I know that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, any organic thing can eventually be crushed and pressed into a diamond. But... We now have another kind of diamond that I didn't I didn't know about. I I'm, I didn't ever study this. I don't I'm, I'm not a that ancient dwarf planet in our solar system. OK, this is not the other side of the universe here. This particular one may have formed these weird little diamonds after it collided with an asteroid. Now, this week, when NASA sent the probe out to nudge the asteroid off its off of its usual path onto another, I was amazed that the next day my feed of, of space stuff immediately started being all kind of stories about asteroids. I can tell you, I can tell you about people that were hit by asteroids. There's so many of these stories, but this one is the one that stuck with me. Publishing in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, this is Lonsdaleite is the name of this thing. It is a hexagonal form of diamond. Now, obviously, this is not a polished thing. You're going to put a ring on your hand or, or a brooch or, or even a, a, a stylus for your record player. That's not what we're talking about. But this is an industrial capacity diamond that hexagonal is so rare that I don't they really didn't think that this was something that would have come from this sort of a place. Um, Uriolite meteorites from the mantle of the dwarf planet. Now. The reason I even tell you about this, not only just because it seems to be Asteroid Week in the news, is because I love when things are named after people I never heard of. And I need to learn something new every day, right? So here she is. Dame Kathleen Lonsdale is the name given, was the, the British female, and who knew that this was even a thing, crystallographers, all right? Lon, Lonsdaleite was named for her. She was the first woman elected as a fellow to the Royal Society, to, to the, the, the basically the, the men's club of scientists <laughs> in Britain, in the UK, actually, and probably the Commonwealth. Amazing. It exists in nature. It's not something that we had to make up, which we thought we had to make it up. There's more things in heaven and earth, my friend, than we ever, ever knew. There's no reason to say anything else. Stick around. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, turn your radio on. morning we shall meet them over on the Hallelujah Show. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, heaven's glory, share, glory, share. Turn your lights down, oh, turn your lights down, and listen to the master's radio. Touch with God, turn your radio on, turn your radio on. 
Before heading out in your RV, go through your propane system safety checklist. Take a look at exterior vents and clear away debris and blockage. Check propane cylinders for wear and tear. Inspect all propane appliance connections thoroughly for frays and damage. Make sure your RV has a DC fire extinguisher and propane carbon monoxide and smoke detectors and have the vehicle inspected annually. Remember, always leave repairs to the professionals. Energy for everyone, propane. Visit MSPropane.com. That's MSPropane.com to learn more. This is Jake Mangum, player for the New York Mets organization and former Mississippi State Bulldog. When you're a part of a team, every player has to pull their weight and support one another. Farm Bureau does exactly that. Their team ensures I've got competitive rates and exceptional customer service to support them. If you aren't already on the team, it's time to join Farm Bureau. Visit favrates.com for great rates on home and auto insurance. Or find a local agent at msfbins.com. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go with the home team. You're listening to Super Talk Mississippi, where the news comes first. With live updates from Super Talk Mississippi News and Fox News every hour. Available on the Super Talk app and at supertalk.fm. You believe this guy? Who is this guy? It's Gerard Gibbert. Weekdays, 10 to 1 on Super Talk Mississippi. I like this guy. Also on the Super Talk app and at supertalk.fm. This is House Call for Health. The Food and Drug Administration is warning patients and doctors about unusual cancers found in some people with breast implants. The agency announcement coming after an in-depth routine review of several medical reports citing the discoveries of rare lymphomas and squamous cell carcinoma in the scar tissue that surrounds the implants. The FDA says there are roughly 50 reported cases of these types of cancers in people with both saline or silicone implants. Officials say these rare cases are not the same as previous reports of lymphomas linked to breast implants. Some of the symptoms include changes in skin appearance, swelling and pain. Regulators encourage people experiencing any symptoms or abnormal changes to report them through the FDA program MedWatch and to talk to their surgeon or health care provider. And for those who do have breast implants to monitor themselves for any issues. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Lisa Brady, Fox News. There's a ton of content from Super Talk Mississippi on our new YouTube channel. Just search Super Talk Mississippi on YouTube or go to supertalk.fm slash YouTube. Be sure and subscribe for free to get the latest scoop on what's happening in Mississippi news, politics, sports, and the good things happening here in the state. Accurate information, in-depth analysis, and clear insight all in one place. The Gallo Radio Show with Paul Gallo. Mornings on Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm. Take a pause. Move over, corgis. Here come the Jack Russells. The corgis left behind by Queen Elizabeth are going to live with her son, Prince Andrew. King Charles and Camilla, Queen Consort, are bringing their dogs, Beth and Bluebell, to Buckingham Palace. They're little, feisty, and Hello Magazine says they're both rescue dogs that came from a London animal shelter. The Queen Consort told the BBC the dogs are great. However, she warned Bluebell's a little neurotic. And if you need to hug a therapy dog, you may want to head to Denver International Airport. The Guinness Book of World Records says Denver has the world's largest airport therapy animal program with 84 volunteer dogs and their humans. And of course, they're all over social media. Their main job is to stroll about the airport bringing tail wags, business cards, and free hugs to all they encounter. And couldn't all airports use more therapy right now? 
Tech Pause, Jill Nato, Fox News. I wish I could play like that. So much fun. It just makes you smile. We've been talking today here on Weekend Gardening about a lot of things, one of which has been the notion that a weed is a plant growing where somebody else doesn't want it to be or where you don't want it to be. Somebody else might, but you don't. I'm, I was reminded, and I did have this story that I never did get to y'all um, previously, I wanted to use this as my example, but now that I'm thinking about it, well, is anything universally considered not the one you want? In this case, maybe so. Weedy rice is a close cousin of the rice we use for rice crops, all right? However, it's aggressive, and it outcompetes. It'll use up every nutrient and leave the one you planted sitting there in the dust. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So one of the problems is also an absolute magic moment for us as people watching plants okay my rice farmer friends i apologize that i that i think this is cool because it's not from your point of view but weedy rice is, has out evolved the herbicides <laughs> it's just like we talk about the insects evolving past their you know they they the ones that survive the the spray of anything are the ones that then breed and become the ones that resist whatever that is, all right? And in this case, the weedy rice has done the same thing. This is communications biology. Um, as you might imagine, University of Arkansas and Washington University at, in St. Louis, this is uh, really very difficult for, for rice farmers, and it is closely related. It makes it very difficult to control. Biologists used whole genome sequences to try and figure it out, and yes, it it's all they're out they're all showing it it's unfortunate but they're it's just what happens we we have often told ourselves as gardeners if i could just get the right whatever whatever then i wouldn't have these problems anymore but actually the truth is you won't have the same problem you'll have a different problem later on and that's that's generally speaking how it works in the garden world i have I have answered about 10 questions this week of what do I do with this plant that got too big to go back in my house? Can I prune X, Y, or Z? And in the case, for example, of Chef Lara's, yeah, you can get a gallon pot Chef Lara and it sat really nicely in the library on the bookshelf all last winter. You put it outside and now it's three times as big and the shelf didn't grow. So what are you going to do? You can You can prune those things. And in fact, many of them will, you can root the tips that you've just cut off and do what I always consider to be the, the perfect um, teacher gift, classroom gift, Christmas gift. The, the mail carriers at my house sometimes get brooded plants. I don't know if they like them. They've never complained. They still bring the mail. But the point is that when you do something for somebody else that you have done the work on yourself, it's generally appreciated. So, yeah, go ahead and cut those house plants back if they won't fit through the door. No, I haven't figured out what to do with the night-blooming Sirius. It won't fit through the door, and it's still blooming. Good heavens, it's a beautiful, beautiful plant. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> I do hope that um, if you are interested in 
growing strawberries in zone 7B, 8, or 9 that you understand it's time. You may see the flats at a, a garden center or a box store. You may see an order or an offer to buy the plants, you know, from somebody in Alabama because they sell a lot of strawberry plants from Alabama. But either way, however it's going, October is the time we get through the season, we grow them, we pick those beautiful berries in the springtime, and then when the real threats come to the plants, everything from crown rot to spider mites to probably deer, I don't even know about that, but I suspect deer would eat them, then you, you do have to recognize that, that that's an annual plant. And you, you might keep some of them. They might go to the next year. They might make babies that you then keep. But oftentimes we do it a one and done, same as we do tulips. We plant them in October. We, we enjoy them in the springtime, and they're gone because they're, they're not – their survival rate and their reflowering rate are incredibly low. I know. You have the one tulip that reblooms. That's fine. There is one or two, but it's very difficult to find. And they're not the fancy showy ones that we think of for cutting for flower bouquets and that sort of thing. So something to consider. Yes, sir. When you're, you were speaking of, you know, strawberries and this is the time, when is the, you know, the big, uh, the harvest? You know, I, I've gone down to Louisiana with Tangipahoa so many times and I can't really remember when that. April. is April. So you're going to plant now mm-hmm. and wait until April to get the great yep. crop. You're going to tend them. You're going to fertilize them. It's just like, it's like growing pansies. They grow better in cool weather than they grow in hot weather, and they're not going to freeze. So <laughs> the good news is that they're going to grow all winter. And yeah, you'll miss a week. You won't necessarily fertilize them or even pay much attention to them. But as long as you're keeping them growing up on something like hay, which is better than pine straw, they'll be above ground level. They're not going to get too wet. They're not going to have slugs and snails come after them in the spring time and you'll be picking in april sometime if not the beginning then later on in the month it's a wonderful wonderful crop and it's i I wish that everybody had i'm not i'm not not talking about a strawberry jar those are the most unfortunately named containers you know with the holes on all sides you can grow succulents in there that's fine i have no problem with it but strawberries actually need a bed or a container or some, they need a bit more space. Each plant's going to be probably six or eight inches across and at least four to six inches deep with its roots for, you to, for it to make. And then it has to send out its babies. <laughs> so, <laughs> the strawberries are wonderful, but they are a little bit bigger plants than we think of because we see so many things. We see them oftentimes, or we'll see that, uh, what is that one, Everbear, or some, one of those things that, you mean you see it being advertised in June, and you think I missed the strawberries. I should order these. Some people do well with them, but most of us don't. Most of us do not. Somebody brought up camellias earlier, asking about the deer eating them. I don't have an answer to that, but I will tell you that this is the time to check all of your camellias and the sasanquas that are probably starting to bloom today. Maybe already at your place, or if not, very soon. Um, Check all of these those plants, particularly for webs on the back of the leaves or for any pale-looking leaves in large numbers. Those kind of things can let you know that you have an infestation of scale insects. And they will, in fact, take the plant down to the point where you don't care about it anymore because they just suck the life out of it, and it just sits there. We don't need that. We need our camellias and sasanquas to be beautiful. So you can use that 
uh, pyrethrin at this point. It's still a little bit on the warm side to be using oil sprays, but you can certainly knock down some of those issues if you pay attention to them now. This is also the time, because it has been so dry, that if you want those flowers to be spectacular, now's the time to be sure you're watering deeply, weekly, for things like camellias that, you know, frankly, all they're doing at this time of year is adding to their flower size, adding to their flower density and making sure that those petals are all going to be able to open. And that's strictly a function of water. So make sure you're doing that for them. Okay. I have uh, still haven't made pesto. I still have more basil than I should have. So I'm thinking about doing that. Um, if you've got a lot of basil and this cooler weather is is your friend like it is mine, remember The basil will start up again. If you harvest it now, you've got just enough cool weather and just enough time to actually grow a second crop on that same plant. If you've not planted any basil seeds, you might get get that, but it takes 60, 70 days, so you may or may not be able to get that. However, if you have a basil plant that looks like it's trying to go to flower, I'm describing the ones sitting on the bench at my place, it is time to cut those back because we don't want them to flower, that not only makes seed, which we don't need, takes away from the green that we do want, and it also changes the taste of the basil. So keep the flowers clipped off, and give yourself a chance to, to I don't know, I, I may not make pesto, but I may make some, I'll make something out of it. Freeze them for later for soup or do something. Um, it's a wonderful plant, but it's the one herb that we grow that is not going to take weather that gets below 40 degrees. It's just not going to do it. And frankly, you wouldn't want it to. You want it to be super duper in summer. It's, a, it's, a, it's something we think of as a summertime um, vegetable accompaniment. We think of basil and tomatoes. Or, I know tomatoes are fruit. But we think of basil along with the, those summer squashes and the, the rice dishes and the things that are really light, really very, very light, because basil has such a brilliant fresh green to it. Anytime you see somebody talking about uh, they, they wish that this competitor in the cooking contest would have added a fresh element, I immediately think, well, where's the parsley and basil? Just cut that up, put it on top, and, you know, you're on your way. Almost doesn't matter what else you have there to eat, because the basil's going to give it a little punch and be very sweet. There are seeds that we don't fool with. The the retibita, my Mexican hat, for example, I cut back and crushed all the seed heads Watered the area once, but it hasn't rained in that space, and they're already coming up. Now, that doesn't happen to everything. The ones that I planted down at the foot of the driveway, you all, I've, I've talked with you about this before. Plants do things that you don't expect, and you have to enjoy that and actually celebrate it. I have, outside my back door, Mexican hat, retibita, that grows and, and gets to be about three feet tall and has flowers all over it and they're beautiful long cones of seeds they're wonderful flower but i planted it at the foot of my driveway eight years ago it went up it didn't go down the driveway it's gone up the driveway for reasons known only to it but i've just decided to embrace it and celebrate it and enjoy it because it's such a great great flower if you are listening on the stream today and i hope that you are you may or may not like the direction that I'm taking this, but I'm not. I, I just have so many things that have been interesting to me that 
you know, you're welcome to call me or text me, see if we're still here. We've been answering that on the text line. Yeah, we're still here. Go to the stream. And frankly, this time of year, that is that announcement that I made earlier, because that's where we have to be. And frankly, I like it. More people listen to this stream than just about anything else, because you're on your way. You're out in the garden. You're over here. You pull up the app and off we go. I did not really put that much stock into all of the studies of what's going to happen. Okay, not that I don't look forward. I always do. But I can't really tell you that when global warming or when climate change or when the increasing temperature of the ocean is going to do this, that, or the other thing. And I have to rely, just as we all do, on the people who are able to do those algorithms and do those calculations and put this factor in and show that when this factor meets that factor, thus and so happens. But it's a little easier if we look backwards. Mm -hmm, That's right. Harvard University's Department of Organismic and Evolutionary Biology. In other words, what happens to creatures that are alive over time is essentially what they're asking in that department. Well, reptiles are one of those wonderful things. The herpetologists all know this, but the rest of us have to find it out sideways sometimes. Reptiles are an incredible set of creatures. You understand, of course, that the difference between reptiles and everybody else is that we can watch their evolution over time. Their fossil record is so solid because their evolution has been so rapid. So this particular study focused in on the time, because we understand their record. We got them all the way from the Permian era, you know, all the way forward. We know where the reptiles are. So what they worked on was to put that graph against the changing temperatures in the environments where they were most busy, where there were the most of them, where the populations have been documented through the fossil record to tell us what was there, okay? Well, there comes that time, and the rapid evolution and the radiation, that is to say the dispersal, the, the, the larger populations moving in other directions of reptiles, actually began way back then in connection with mm-hmm, steadily increasing temperatures. Now, I say this to you because those were changes over 60 million years, which is why... You know, it's why the toads are there. It's why we have many of our the reptiles that basically only go back into the water briefly, very brief periods, or not at all in some cases. And in this case, we have this wonderful um, the 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 thing is so huge, but they marked this particular event set of events marked the new era in the history of planets when yes, the vertebrates were dominated by the reptiles. Now. Because I read science fiction and because I know this audience and y'all are so nice to me and I love you so much. I know y'all are out there saying, well, that's okay. Now with global warming, the reptiles can finally take over. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm I'm not going to say it isn't possible, but I'm going to say maybe not. Maybe not. But anyway, back under the sea, my friends. Remember, the octopus is your friend. The octopus is smarter than you. And the octopus has a lot to do to keep the oceans going. Let's be nice, like Ringo, to the octopus. We would be so happy, you and me. No one there to tell us what to do. 
about overcoming obstacles. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. And those are the stories I love to tell in the broadcast booth. But the courage of college athletes is more than matched by another group of young men. The boys fighting Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's the most prolific genetic killer diagnosed in childhood. And there's no cure. But college football coaches are doing something about it. And you can help. It's called Coach to Cure MD. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill or go online at coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501 today. Help college football coaches cure MD. You'll be proud you did. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Mississippi loves high school football. And now you can stream tons of high school football games from across the Magnolia State each Friday night just by going to supertalk.fm slash high school. That's supertalk.fm slash high school. And of course, on Friday nights during the season, there's always a game on your local Supertalk radio station. The season's on the line. When it comes to high school football in Mississippi, nobody does it like we do. We are Supertalk Mississippi. Saving you money, I'm Hillary Barsky. If you're thinking about having a baby, something you should consider is that a baby's first year costs parents up to $16,000, according to a new study by Baby Center, which calculated costs based on a variety of items from childcare and formula to diapers, bibs, and clothing. The biggest expense during a baby's first year is childcare, which roughly costs around $6,500. Other big expenses include the cost of feeding a baby as well as baby gear. As far as Monthly cost on average baby formula cost around 183 bucks. Clothing roughly $82 and disposable diapers $76. Another huge expense, the cost of a bigger house. Many families decide to move to a larger abode in anticipation on or after the birth of their child. And as you're planning your family, just consider that baby expenses on average take up to 27% of parents' total income. Saving you money, Hillary Barsky, Fox News. Mississippi loves high school football. And now you can stream tons of high school football games from across the Magnolia State each Friday night just by going to supertalk.fm slash high school. That's supertalk.fm slash high school. And of course, on Friday nights during the season, there's always a game on your local Supertalk radio station. The season's on the line. Touchdown! When it comes to high school football in Mississippi, nobody does it like we do. We are Supertalk Mississippi. Weekly Rx with Dr. Nicole Sapphire. A new study from the Annals of Internal Medicine suggests drinking daily tea may be exactly what keeps the doctor away. The study looked at nearly 500,000 men and women in the UK over a 10-year span and found that people who drank two or more cups of tea each day were less likely to have died from cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and stroke. Numerous studies have shown that various teas can boost the immune system, decrease inflammation, and lessen cancer and heart disease risk. 
Green tea is often touted as the healthiest tea because it is the least processed and full of antioxidants. Also, with zero calories, tea is a great addition to a low-calorie diet. But be sure to avoid heavy milk and sugar because those additions can take away from the health benefit. For me, I like to add a little lemon to just give a little flavor in my daily tea. So before you go for the soda or some of these other beverages, try some tea. It just may save your life. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News. Send the greatest texts. Thank you, Andrea. This is great. Bright Creatures, a novel by Shelby Van Pelt about an octopus. If you have not seen um, the octopus on on, I don't even know which stream it is, but I did watch it, so it's it's not obscure because I don't have that many obscure streams. Um, but anyway, just beautiful, beautiful stuff. So how in the world? How in the world? Do fish survive? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? Guess what? When we're talking about those creatures that are able to survive the far, far depths, like the one that we were talking about at the University of Denmark's uh, in their in their study system, I think that, that what they find fifty of those. You know, there's just so few that they can even document. But we know the creatures are there because that's how the whole thing works. Is one creature takes care of another creature, takes care of another creature, all the way up the chain. In the Marianas Trench, of course, um, the pressure is eight tons per square inch. And as many people as have thought about getting in there and taking a look at it, I'm pretty sure that James Cameron is the only one that has done quite as much as he had, because after Avatar he had so much money that he could involve in such things. But under, under normal conditions, what we consider normal... Water molecules look like tetrahedrons. Okay, if you if you look at if you understand that, well, you you can understand it. It's a molecular arrangement. Everything has one. All right. However, at really high pressure, like that Marianas Trench and places approaching that level of eight tons per square inch, which I cannot even conceive of, but I, I recognize that that's real. It's it's a more than a thousand fold increase over what's happening on the surface. So. These things have to really be different. At that high pressure, though, you can imagine that the water molecules kind of change. They distort. They get, you know, one of my favorite words. They get wonky. They don't. They're not. They're not perfectly aligned anymore. So when this happens, mm-hmm, whatever's inside there dies, and that that would make sense. It would be being crushed. It's a different thing. So what they found out is these researchers, the University of Leeds, have discovered a chemical in the cell of that marine organism that counteracts all that and allows them to survive. How important could this be? There's the implications of a discovery of, that this even exists, you know, that they're not just somehow entirely different from everything else and therefore they live at that depth, but this is actually why and how they get there. This is so interesting. It's an explanation of how the molecule found in their cells counteracts the extreme external pressure. Think if we had known these things when we began becoming submariners. 
if we had understood that there was an actual chemical that we could put to work for us, Captain Nemo might have been more of a reality. Now, I've known some folks that went to, to sea that, that were submariners, and I have to tell you, it does take a, one, a particular perspective to be able to do this, but they all wanted to be able to dive deeper. The, each of the individuals that I've ever known were people that wanted to see more of the ocean. That's what their whole world was about. So the high pressures distort the liquid water that is in all of us and all of life. So as a result, understanding what changes and how they're able to put up with the pressure is very, very important. And, and not to mention just entirely cool. Why do we study things? Why do we ask these questions? Because what we find out increases our knowledge as human beings, increases our base of operations, if you will. I have uh, recently been studying ceilings and roofs, and I thought I already knew all I needed to know about that, but now it turns out I'm, I'm learning other things about it. And the things that you didn't know are the things that can get you in trouble. So uh, the, 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 how much the slope is, how, how big the flashing needs to be, how deep all of these things need to get done is interesting stuff. And before you fall asleep now, I will also tell you a little more about a couple of plants that I'm interested in. I know not everybody finds these things as fascinating as I do, but they're, you know, everybody can get into snapdragons, right? I wanted to tell you this story because I'm in the midst of writing these stories, and some of them will come back around again in book form, and some of them will not. So this one may or may not. Here's the lesson this plant taught me. Snapdragons have taught me that sometimes it's better to be lucky than smart, or at least as valuable. Back in the day, when there was a research project involving snapdragons, or really anything else, if you've ever been at that sort of situation where somebody's trying something, they got a whole bunch of other plant material. Um, for more information, remind yourself of my story about the accepting 100 tomato plants and 99 of them growing from the researcher. I, was that ever an overwhelming experience? But yes, it was. As fate would have it that year, though, there was a Snapdragon experiment going on as an overwintering annual, and there's always extra plant material. Lucky for me, those plants fell to the man that I would soon marry, and we planted them along with dozens of other flowers and vegetables in his vacant lot garden. This is circa mm, 1973, something like that. As fate would have it, the winter was mild. That was lucky. The snapdragons grew into sturdy, leafy spikes, along with our plans for a spring wedding. Knowing how to grow something is great, but lucky beats smart that year. It rained just enough. We remembered to put out the fertilizer. The plants didn't get eaten by bugs. All of these things have a certain, you do it right, you know what you're doing, but you still have to have a little bit of luck to make it happen. you got to recognize the role of sheer luck in gardening and in life, I think. Otherwise, you become overconfident. You become a bit of a smarty pants. And you think that you're not vulnerable to things like weather or or other people's attitudes and points of view. Growing tall snapdragons makes me happy even today. Both the classic rocket varieties as well as Liberty, which are not three feet tall, they're only about two and a half feet tall, but I like them just as well. Beautiful presences in the vase and in the garden. The honeycomb leaves give way to flowers and the pyramids of color. It's some of my favorite flowers like this, like gladiolas, 
you, as soon as one color, one flower opens, the whole thing's going to open. You can pick it and enjoy it for days and days and days. But in my garden, there is the snapdragon that I confidently told you all and also told the cut flower growing classes that I'm lucky enough to be able to teach. Snapdragons are a spring annual. We grow them over the winter and we cut them in the spring. And I told them the story of the flowers for the wedding and how spectacular they were and how beautiful and how great all of that was. And then when I went to take the snapdragons out that year, I missed one. Yep. She's still growing. This is, however, three, four years later now. And it literally is still surviving. I got lucky. I didn't kill that one. I meant to pull it out, and she taught me a lesson. That's why we grow plants, because you can learn something different every time, even when you grow the same one. Yep, I cut it back again that just a few days ago. And now there's other things growing around the base of it. But guess what? That snapdragon still sits there. And yes, if I had to guess, it's laughing at me, mocking me, and keeping me from becoming overconfident, keeping me from being a smarty pants, and keeping me, frankly, in love with snapdragons. Long after everything else faded aside the snapdragons are still in my heart and i want you to grow some too you might get lucky you never know thank you so much for being with me today don't forget we got a lot going on send me an email if you missed anything or you want to know some more mama on air at yahoo.com but now give yourself a break take a day off this week and call in for mental health tell them mama said so see you next week for weekend gardening Weekend Gardening with the Garden Mama is a production of TeleSouth Communication. Please never use gas appliances for purposes which they are not intended. A gas oven should never be used for heating purposes and never store flammable materials inside propane cylinders. The Mississippi Propane Gas Association takes pride in protecting your home or business. We ensure that our products are delivered in compliance with the highest industry safety standards. Plus, we offer free gas checks for our customers. Energy for everyone. Propane. Visit MSPropane.com. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. A nine-year-old from North Carolina raising money for cancer makes 
today's Dean's List. Harper Harrell has been battling cancer and trying to bring awareness and money for the illness. Her Peace Out Cancer t-shirts have already raised tens of thousands of dollars for the V Foundation in support of others battling the same thing. Harper says she knows it's tough, but she wants to help others because living with this disease isn't easy and one small thing means a lot. She started learning about the foundation started by ESPN broadcaster and legendary basketball coach Jim Valvano, which benefits cancer research and programs. Shortly after beginning treatment, Harper began drawing in her notebook and created the Peace Out Cancer message with an illustration on a ribbon. She created the t-shirt and with her mom's help set up a campaign to sell the shirts, donating half the proceeds to the foundation and the other half to try and pay for her own medical expenses. Thank you, Harper, for sharing your story and your passion. Janice Dean, Fox News. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.